Climate Action News, brought to you by We Don't Have Time and A Sustainable Tomorrow. My name is Katharina Rolf-Stotter-Johansson, and I'm the host of this program. Bertrand Picard is the initiator and visionary behind Solar Impulse, the first airplane that flew around the globe powered by the sun. In 2021, he will deliver 1,000 sustainable solutions he selected to decision makers, encouraging them to adopt more ambitious environmental targets and energy policies. Bertrand Picard, it's wonderful to have you with us here on the program. I'd like to ask you, how has your work with Solar Impulse, what has been the most important achievement so far? I initiated the Solar Impulse project to demonstrate that impossible things or what people believe is impossible can in fact be achieved by renewable energies and clean technologies. It's a way to put positive emotions around clean technologies and to show that it is not a way to go backward if you take care of the environment. It's at the opposite a way to go forward to the future. And the most important winnings so far, what would you say that those are? It is clearly now the work that our success with the airplane allows us to do, which is to select 1,000 technologies, systems, products, processes that can protect the environment and at the same time generate economical profit and create jobs. So my goal with the Solar Impulse Foundation today, and I think really the credibility was set thanks to the airplane going around the world and the notoriety and now people know us and uh, understand what we do. Uh, the goal is really to have these 1,000 solutions as proofs that the protection of the environment can be financially profitable and to bring these solutions as a portfolio to the key decision makers, to head of governments, heads of states, big institutions, big leaders of corporations, in order to give them the tools that they need to set much more ambitious energy policies and environmental targets. And how will you do this? Will you, will you be flying around the world again doing this? Uh, it will not be with Solar Impulse again, because this was a one-off. It was a revolutionary prototype. It was first in the aviation history. So the goal now is to travel from one head of state to another, to get the meetings and to give them the portfolio of the solutions together with the delegation of corporation leaders, uh, with the media, really in order, you know, to, to show, demonstrate and prove uh, that the tools are available today to fight climate change, to, to protect the environment, to fight against pollution. And I would even say that in a lot of these political meetings, the goal is to demonstrate that even if there was no climate change, even if there was no problem for the environment, it would be logical as much as ecological uh, to use the new technologies because they are more efficient. They manage to save resources, to save energy. Uh, they open new economic uh, in, uh, markets, uh, new industries. You know, all what you can do with the waste, what you can do in circular economy, all these new technologies that are uh, built by startups, all this is a fantastic market that we can open. And I would even say that it is the market of the century to replace what is polluting today because it is inefficient with modern technologies that are efficient. Everybody will win. 
the companies who are selling the products are going to win and the consumers who are going to use more efficient products are also going to win. And by the way, it protects the environment. So it's really a win-win-win and uh, we have to, to demonstrate, prove it, promote it. And uh, today I'm very happy because we have today uh, 482 of these solutions who have received the label of the uh, Solar Impulse Foundation Efficient Solution uh, Program. Uh, we have 400 experts who are doing these assessments. So basically it is 482 proofs that the protection of the environment can be financially profitable. Well, that's, that's really impressive. Um, how is your work affected by the pandemic? Uh, today, the foundation is working from home. All the people uh, are on their phone, on their computers. And I have to, to admit that we have the best month in the history of the Solar Impulse Foundation. Uh, the highest number of new solutions that have been labeled was in April of this year. Uh, the startups have a little bit more time to submit their, uh, their, their, their forms, their, their solutions. The experts have a little bit more time. Uh, so really, the pandemic was not a problem on, on that level. The pandemic was a real problem for a lot of other situations, but in this case, it was not. So when, when do you think you'll be able to, to start, start this endeavor and, and go visit and contact the uh, decision makers? I hope by the first half of 2021, next year, a uh, little bit less than, the, than a year. And uh, what is interesting is that even today, we have governments who have already contacted us, uh, like, like uh, Scotland, like France, Belgium, Luxembourg, and they are already asking us to help them to implement solutions that can protect the environment and at the same time can relaunch uh, the economic growth that has been uh, destroyed by the, by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting to see that, of course, there are people who call to go back to the past, but there are quite a lot of people who are calling to have a better world after the crisis than we had before. And there are billions of dollars, trillions of dollars who are put on the market to help the economy to recover. But of course, this money has to be used to make a better more efficient and cleaner world in the future. So the solutions that have been selected by the Solar Impulse Foundation in so many startups or sometimes also big companies around the world are very, very valuable tools for this economic recovery. So we are now really, even if we don't have the 1,000 yet, and we have just the half, uh, we're already working a lot with public authorities in order to help them. I'm going to ask you a question that all uh, all my guests get. They get two two of the questions are always the same, because I'd, I'd like to see the, the, your brilliant mind, see how you address this, these two, especially. Uh, and the first one goes like this: How do you see if uh, if there is any learnings we can we can get from how we handle the pandemic into how we should and could be handling the climate crisis? Well, I think the pandemic is so bad because our world was already fragile, unstable, unfair, and polluted before the crisis. And I heard a lot of people in the industry who told me last year, we are on the edge of a recession. So it's not a surprise today that everything is collapsing because everybody who can buy something has already bought it 
and the other half of the population cannot afford buying something. So the economy was running flat, which is completely stupid. We should be able to give to the public, to the consumers, better things, more efficient products, more efficient technologies or devices. So they would replace what they use in an inefficient way by something that is efficient. So we see that the world before the pandemic was not running the way it should. Uh, what we can learn also is that we were far too dependent from other countries, from the other side of the world. And you know why? Because of greed. Just because of greed. In order to earn a few cents more on the product, there was a delocalization on the other side of the world where the salaries are lower. So what do we do in our Western world? We create unemployment to delocalize to other people who have cheaper employment. And when we have a crisis, because of this greed, the supply chain is broken. So we, we were really doing exactly the, what the common sense would never allow us to do. It was not good common sense. It was now we, 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 we have problems due to this because the, we cannot have the deliveries, etc., etc., because of travel restrictions, etc. So now many, many people are in, many industries and people are in, in trouble because of the way we set up our economies. Exactly. Exactly. If you depend too much on the outside, if you delocalize too much, uh, when there is a problem somewhere, the entire system collapses. So we need to have much shorter circuits. We need to have circular economy. We need to have situation to, to, to supply ourselves with the basic needs without depending on others. And I hope that it will be understood uh, as it is in addition to the environmental problems. Because of course, if you transport things all around the world by airplanes, by ship, by trucks, and, and, and so on, you create a lot of pollutions when you could very well produce much more locally. But of course, in some countries, producing more locally means producing at a little bit higher price. Mm -hmm. But it would, if you have a little bit higher prices, it's also because you give better salaries, which is a way to improve the standard of life. And the people who have better salaries pay more taxes. So for the social redistribution, it's also an advantage. So we see that we have done very, very wrong before the crisis of the COVID. And I deeply hope that we will remember these learnings in order to do better after the crisis that, than we did, that we did before. And you know, this is the, the opportunity that, that lies in a crisis, in every crisis in life. Mm -hmm. If you recover exactly what you had before the crisis, the crisis was useless and the suffering induced by the crisis was useless. If you recover in a better shape after than before, if you finish higher than before, if you have acquired new tools, new understanding, new behaviors, new solutions, then the crisis was useful. So the, the jury is still out there on this one, right? We'll see what we learn, but uh, the, it sounds very promising from your perspective, and indeed. Uh, you are um, you're very... Um, much talking about innovation and technologies and not so much uh, about behavioral changes. Uh, is there a risk when we focus, uh, as you do, uh, very much on technology as solving the climate crisis, that people just sit back and think, well, this is going to be all taken care of by 
by new technology solutions? I will answer more as a psychiatrist than an explorer, because I'm both, but this time maybe more psychiatrist. What I've noticed is that most of the people are not keen to change their habits and their behaviors. So if you tell two people, you have to protect the environment, which means that you have to renounce to your mobility, to your comfort, we need less growth, we need less uh, uh, traveling, we need less from everything. You will discourage the people, you will have all of them in, against you. And I think this was the huge mistake of the green parties in the last 50 years. They were threatening the population, telling, showing them that protecting the environment was stressful, expensive, and boring. We have to show the opposite. We have to tell to the people, you want to have a good life? Yes, you can keep your good life. But the technologies, the devices, the systems, the infrastructure that you are using for this good life have to be changed. They need to be more modern. If we had an electric mobility, if we had a way to store intermittent uh, renewable energy in the batteries of the cars or in hydrogen, with well-insulated houses, with LED lamps, with heat pumps, with new industrial processes. We, we, could, we could already today divide by two the CO2 emissions, divide by two the pollution that, that we are creating on this planet. Because we had in the past a society of waste, of excessive consumption, excessive. Today, if we can be more efficient, we would reduce half of the energy consumption, half of the food production, half of the resources that we extract from the ground, just because all this would be used in a more efficient way. Mm -hmm. So it is not the technology that will save the world. It is the way we can use this technology to be efficient and to protect the environment. Mm -hmm. And people watching this, this will probably, some of them will be thinking, well, we have a scarcity of uh, the minerals that needs to go into the batteries, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what do you have to say about this in terms of electrification? And also, I'm sure many people watching this will be asking themselves, how about flying? I mean, you flew on a solar-powered uh, airplane. Uh, how can we go about flying again in a more in a well 100% climate neutral way? Is it is it going to be possible within a foreseeable future? And how about the battery capacity and the rare minerals? It's true that not everyone's going to fly on a regular and commercial basis with solar power like I did with solar impulse. That's for sure. But we should not forget that aviation is three percent. 3% only of the problem of CO2 emissions and energy consumption. Roughly. 97% is on the ground. 97% is much easier to target than aviation. So we should not start by the thing that is the most difficult. Of course, we have to ask aviation to be more efficient, direct routes, constant descent approaches, uh, sustainable airports, uh, uh, better... Uh, uh, mix of uh, biofuels and things like that, of course. But we cannot say, we cannot solve climate change because aviation is difficult to handle. No, we have to start by, by what we can handle. Uh, in, um, uh, carbon neutral buildings is possible today, and not Indeed only possible, are. but cheaper to use. Cheaper to use. If you have a house that is well insulated, 
with heat pumps and solar panels, you pay less every year on your energy bill than if you have a house that is badly insulated. So you can really make it profitable. Uh, the batteries for the electric mobility. Let's be very clear about that. The electric mobility, it's for me not a car with a battery. It's a battery with wheels, which is different. Mm -hmm. It will go on the street 5% of the time, and 95% of the time, the electric car will be connected to the grid in order to charge with solar energy or wind energy when you have wind and solar, mm -hmm. and discharge the electricity on the grid when there is a peak of consumption. So the electric car is a private storage at the service of the community. If you see it like this, the environmental advantage is tremendous. So of course, we will have a few mines of cobalt or lithium in different countries. This has to be handled with human rights and with economical rule, uh, ecological rules. And that is also, not the case right we, now. That, we have to apply that. It's not the case now, not at all, and it has to be. It has to be. And if we relocalize a little bit the things better, I tell you that the countries on the other side of the world will put their standards of human rights much higher in order to continue selling their products. Mm. But at the end, what do we want? Do we want a couple of lithium or cobalt mines here and there? Or do we want more degrees of temperature in the atmosphere, which is not a local problem, it's a global problem. And I think we really have to to, to make the trade-off like that. And also there is innovation going on on creating batteries from other sources than these rare, uh, rare minerals with, with algae, et cetera, et cetera. So let's, uh, let's absolutely. talk and, and we can store energy with hydrogen. Mm -hmm. This is something that has not yet reached the critical mass, and this is why it is still expensive. But we have to invest in hydrogen exactly like it has been invested in solar panels and in batteries. The price has dropped dramatically because a lot of people have produced it. The hydrogen industry is just at the beginning and we have to push it dramatically in order to drop the price and make it accessible to everyone. Hydrogen is really a good way to store the energy from wind and solar uh, sources. You come from a long line of, of, um, of innovators and explorers. Your grandfather was an explorer and your father and yourself, uh, of course. Um, But where does your personal passion come from in doing what you're doing? And how do you sustain this passion in, in wanting to save the planet? Yes. You, you know, in my childhood, my role models were scientific explorers who were achieving the impossible. So it was the astronauts I met when I was a child. American astronauts from Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo program. Uh, aviation pioneers like Charles Lindbergh. But of course, also my father and my grandfather. My grandfather made the first flight ever in the stratosphere. He invented actually the, the, the pressurized capsule in order to show that it would be possible to fly at much higher altitude in thinner air where the fuel consumption would be lower. And his idea was already in 1931 to be more efficient and to protect the environment. And then in 1960, my father made the dive, the first dive to the deepest spot in the ocean, in the Marana Trench, 11 kilometers down. And the goal was to show that there was life in the deepest trenches where the governments wanted to drop their radioactive and toxical waste. 
So that was a huge milestone in the protection of the environment. So for me, exploration, science was always an inspiration. It was to protect the environment. It was to make life better. It was to motivate people to, to go to the best of themselves. And this is what I wanted also when I made the first flight around the world in a balloon with Breitling Orbiter 3 balloon in 1999. And of course, Solar Impulse. Solar Impulse maybe is really the achievement of my life in the sense that I could put together protection of the environment, promotion of clean technologies and the renewable energies, and the spirit of pioneering and exploration, which uh, supports everything I, I want to do in my life. Hmm. Well, thank you for doing what you're doing, indeed. So I have the second question that I've always asked my guests. Uh, what does climate leadership mean to you? And do you have any good examples of climate leadership? I think we need leadership. And if we have real leaders, they will lead the way for climate, but also against pollution, also for a fairer world with less inequalities, uh, with just better quality of life. And, and, and this is missing. What we need are leaders who are able to set a vision, explain this vision, and explain why we have to reach this vision and how we're going to do it. And it's not what uh, heads of states, most of heads of state are, are, are doing now. They are not having a vision. They are managing the day-to-day, but they are not showing where to go and why we have to, to do it. Fortunately, there are a couple of examples. Um, the king of Morocco, very impressive situation. The king of Morocco, Mohammed VI, um, set the goal of having 42% of renewable energy in his country by 2030. And he saw that it was too easy. Everybody was doing it so well that the goal would have reached easily. So he said, okay, we're not putting 42 as a goal, we're putting 52% in order to really make a challenge that everybody could try to achieve. This is leadership. This is leadership. It's a real vision, and it's a vision that he can achieve, that he can really achieve. Uh, The president, uh, Emmanuel Macron, clearly wants to change things. Maybe his problem is that he's not explaining enough why the changes have to happen. But he's a visionary in the sense that he really wants to to change the system. He he told me, I want to change the system on the social level, economic level, industry level, environmental level. But of course, I need everyone to support me in order to, to reach this goal. So leaders sometimes exist, but they need to explain really well what they have in mind in order to get the support of the population. Because the population, and this is me, it's really a pity to see, but sometimes the population elects more easily heads of states who do nothing because they don't disturb anyone. And when you have somebody who really wants to do something, everybody attacks him. Well, we've seen some examples of that, of course, globally during the past years. Well, thank you so much for your work. Bertrand Picard, and for joining us on this show. Uh, it will be very fascinating to follow you. When you said 2021, you will probably embark on your, on your quest to, to present the 1,000 ideas to save the planet. Well, best of luck to you. Thank, thank you thank very you. much. Thank you. Thank you.
And for all of you viewers watching us, thank you for, for, for coming to my show, to the uh, Climate Action News one-on-one -on -one program. And it's brought to you by We Don't Have Time and A Sustainable Tomorrow. And let's uh, meet back again for the next guest in a week. Bye-bye for now.